Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum, and in this HR Chat, we're going to delve into the psychology of hiring and the tools available to potentially remove bias from the recruitment and onboarding stages of the employee lifecycle. My amazing guest this time is Dr. Charles Handler, a thought leader, analyst, and practitioner in the talent assessment and human capital space. Throughout his career, Dr. Handler has specialized in developing effective, legally defensible employee selection systems. Since 2001, Charles has served as the president and founder of Rocket Hire, a vendor-neutral consultancy dedicated to creating and driving innovation in talent assessment. Charles has helped companies such as Intuit, Wells Fargo, KPMG, Scotiabank, Hilton Worldwide, and a whole bunch more in terms of their measurement of impactful employee selection processes. Through his podcast, Science for Hire, and I always love having another podcaster on my show, although I get nervous, Um, his prolific writing for media outlooks such as ERE.net, his work as a pre-hire assessment analyst for Burson by Deloitte, and worldwide public speaking, Charles is a highly visible futurist and just generally awesome guy when it comes to uh, the talent assessment space. That's enough. That's enough lovely word for you. Why don't I just introduce you now, Charles? Hello, Charles. Welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Why don't you introduce yourself a bit more? Tell our listeners all about yourself and do so in under two minutes. Yeah, I'll do it way faster than that because you already captured a lot of it there. But I am a, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist and I'm very proud of that. But I've um, worked for 20 years as a partner to businesses to help them understand, you know, what what can they do to consistently um, make, uh, you know, hires that that um, are going to be highly effective for the for the uh, the job, the organization, uh, you know, short and long term, honestly. And uh, and it's important to understand that my viewpoint, you know, I'm a very test focused person. I have a lot of experience building tests and evaluating tests. But it's important for everybody to understand that a good hire is more than just a test. You know, there's a lot more that goes into it. And so if you don't take that holistic perspective and you just start prescribing tests, tests to people, um, you're not always going to get the ideal result. So that's a big part of what we do is just really help understand the big picture. We understand the micro level and, you know, we help companies uh, kind of balance both of those things uh, with what I feel are consistently and increasingly so an awesome set of tools to have in your toolbox, which is, you know, talent assessment. Think videos out of reach for your recruiting, onboarding, and employee engagement efforts? With Powtoon, HR teams can easily grab employee attention with engaging videos and visual content for talent recruitment, employee onboarding, diversity and inclusion, employee well-being, company events, and more. Visit Powtoon.com today and use the promo code HRGazette15 to get 15% off any premium Powtoon plan. Powtoon, the visual communication platform. I'd like to ask you, how can organizational psychology inform every step of the hiring process, Charles? And I guess maybe before you even begin answering that, um, for those out there who are not entirely familiar with the term organizational psychology, maybe you need to start there. Yeah, well, it's work psychology, right? It's a branch of psychology where 
It's really the study of what we call individual differences and how those individual differences can um, be leveraged by companies, you know, to get the maximum, uh, you know, uh, productivity and happiness out of their workforce. And uh, I say happiness because there is a huge humanistic um, element to uh, the relationship that an employee and an employer have. And the more aligned they are on their values, the more someone really is a good and proper fit for a job, the happier they are in their job, the more productive they're going to be. So everybody wins when, you know, when the psychology aspect, uh, the human aspect of uh, hiring is really a- accounted for. Uh, and that, that requires, you know, an understanding of how to uh, evaluate humans in a reliable and accurate way. And that's really where, you know, at least my branch uh, of IO or my specialty in hiring comes in. Uh, IO psychologists do a, a variety of other things from employee wellness to compensation to training and development to analytics. We have a lot of uh, various, you know, ways that we can work with companies uh, my specialty is around, okay, how do you understand people relative to what's required on a job so that you can then um, hire people against that standard and evaluate them? Okay, so that, that's really interesting in terms of un- understanding people and where they fit in with, with, with the culture, or is it understanding people to see how they could add to the why of a culture? Because I, I see those two things as slightly different. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it can be, you know, either one of those that that's a layer too, right? I mean, if you think about it, people are complex, right? And so just, just measuring one aspect of a person isn't going to give you the, the full picture. Um, we really like to take what we call a whole person approach. So that might be looking at their, their skills, their um, abilities, the traits that they have, and then also kind of their, their values and preferences. All those things kind of roll up into the ideal. Um, prediction. Culture is a really interesting thing, right? And I've studied it quite a bit, and it's something that we've built a lot of culture tools. Um, It's interesting, right? Especially now. Uh, Culture has often been this kind of undocumented thing where people say, I kind of know it when I see it. This person's a good fit because I know what it's like to work here, and I'm listening to this unknown entity coming in uh, telling me about themselves in various ways. And, and I think there's a, a fit here, but there's not, if there's not a, a structurally defined, uh, uh, objectively defined definition of culture, um, that's going to be difficult to achieve at an individual level where people are just using their own uh, quote unquote, you know, air quotes instincts, you know, um, it needs to be uh, more regimented than that. And you can't measure people against something that's a moving target that you don't have defined well. But the more interesting part of that to me is how can culture be more dynamic? I refer to it and I didn't make this term up. I'm not going to take credit for it, but the term is culture ad, you know, uh, culture ad is the idea that culture is dynamic. You don't necessarily want to just hire the same person over and over and over again. Um, You know, while that has a great element toward, maybe the technical aspects of the job. We all know that diversity brings with it different ways of thinking, uh, different different mindsets, uh, different experiences. And those are all, I believe, very valuable in helping companies evolve. So, you know, looking at culture or dynamic um, force, and then, well, how do you measure against that? That's where it gets a little more difficult, to be honest, because if, if that 
culture is changing, um, it's hard to know what you want to measure against. So my my thought there is you, you get the foundational aspect of the pyramid in place, the skills, the traits and all that. Um, and you look at what is your company value for the future? Where's your company trying to go? What are some needs that your company has? And then maybe look at your candidates against those instead of like where you are right now. And it's, it's not an easy thing to tease apart. Uh, and it really takes a little bit of study with each company to, to kind of nail that. And um, that's who we are and who my mindset is, is it's hard to automate a true, beautiful, you know, flawless uh, culture tool. You, you really need to study it. Okay, let's get a little bit Karl Popper on you now. Um, so you've spoken so far about, you know, um, ob- objectively measuring, but how can one try to ensure that they, they don't bring any of their, their subjective biases into into the process i mean i i, I get that you yeah. guys are showing a methodology but we're talking about people here at the end of the day uh, what, 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 are, what are the processes to, to limit that you know those, those biases uh, i look at it almost as a security strategy right like how are you gonna make sure that you're secure in your decision making from uh, non-job related elements right so that's the number one litmus test here in the united states you know you're looking at um uh, legalities around testing is that it has to be job relevant. And in fact, if you can, if you can establish and document that someone's shoe size relates to how well they perform on the job, uh, you can use someone's shoe size. But if you don't have that substantiated and you use shoe size as a predictor, you know, you're way off base. So, uh, the, the reality of it is that you need to understand again, (laughs) going back to, you got to understand the job, uh, first and foremost, you've got to choose predictive tools that only measure things that are important for job success. And then you've got to evaluate those tools to make sure they don't have some systemic bias built in. Uh, And one of the biggest challenges we have uh, as a profession is that there's a lot of research that shows, you know, how smart someone is in general is the best predictor of how well they'll do on the job. A lot of people argue against that. I personally uh, have my own arguments against it, but we don't have time for that here. In general, that's a that's a, a rule of thumb. Well, cognitive tests tend to have the most what we call adverse impact or um, differentials in scores uh, that lead to people in the majority uh, being selected uh, consistently uh, more often than people uh, in a certain you know kind of what we call protected class. So you've got to evaluate that with all your tools and make sure that's not gone. And if it is, you, you've got to be able to, to mitigate it a little bit. Um, and there are ways to do that, which are technically beyond this conversation. You know, the other thing I would say, and we do a lot, and we recommend this a lot, is just have the, you know, your internal diversity people look at the assessment and see if there's any questions in there that may be biased, even though, like, again, I've had eye-opening experiences. We build a lot of tests. We've built tests. Certainly, we are um, doing everything we can to make a bias-free test. We will um, share that test, or we have shared that test with internal diversity review boards, and they've found things even subtly in the languaging that they feel will make a difference in uh, in in the way people in certain um, ethnicities or groups will interpret that question. And that was very eye-opening the first time that happened to us. So, you know, some oversight on what the heck you're putting out there. What are you asking people? 
Um, and is there any opportunity for bias to come in there? But Bill, at the, at the end of the day, you know, in most cases, you're still handing someone a report on an individual and saying, okay, you've collected a lot of other data, interviews and resume reviews. Here's some more data about this person. It's kind of up to you to decide if they uh, fit or not. And there's still the door is wide open for bias there. If you uh, are a hiring manager and you get three you know, options with all that data. And one of those options is, is a plaid person. And, you know, you feel like plaid people uh, aren't as effective on the job and you're not going to, you're going to skip that person over, even if they might be more qualified. And that's where, you know, and I've had that frustrating experience in my travels where we did all this work. We're going to put this test in place and it's wonderful. And we give people a list and everybody's supposed to be equal on the list because of statistical conventions we do. And they still choose people that aren't on that list, you know, because they they don't feel uh, if I'm making sense here that there's bias can be everywhere in this stuff. And in, in, we're humans. We have to uh, we have to create schemas and we have to create mechanisms to help us quickly evaluate things. Uh, and, you know, that's where uh, bias and stereotype kind of drive the, the human experience. A lot of times um, the filters we have will will lead us to conclusions that may not be um, correct, even if we don't know it. So it's a very thorny, complicated issue. I hope I've presented kind of a list of things that you can do to help mitigate it. But uh, but getting rid of it completely, boy, that's going to be hard. Okay, so I get and the listeners get that you know your stuff and you know the ways to do this. But um, many of our listeners out there are HR practitioners and they're thinking to themselves, I can follow the methodology. But uh, what Charles has been speaking today about means that there are still opportunities for my own inherent biases to to kick in, even if I don't want them to potentially. Um, So. I wonder, and this is me role-playing as an, as an HR professional right, right now, I wonder, is there some clever AI-fueled technology out there right now that can help strip out any last possible um, biases and, and personal views that I might have? <laughs> well, that's about eight other separate podcasts, I think. It's just such a big issue. Um, you got two, two kind of arguments on the AI side of things. You've got people saying, AI, in my opinion, anyway, um, AI is great um, because we can train AI. We can train it not to have bias um, because, you know, we can put those inputs in and say, uh, this is what you shouldn't be looking at or shut those variables off or whatever it is. Uh, there's other other people who say, look, man, there's no way you can do that. Anytime you're using AI, there's opportunities for bias. It's impossible to model every way bias can can kick up. Um, in the process, even if you try. And so you're always going to have bias uh, with AI tools. Um, now, the vendors of these tools obviously take the uh, the former stance I talked about. Um, but is that true or not? I, you know, we don't know. There's a lot of hype around uh, the AI uh, stuff. So if I were dedicated to eliminating bias, I would not rely com- completely on AI at all. And what I would do is I would use the AI as any, I would treat it as any kind of other predictive tool and follow those rules. So study the job, make sure the AI is only selecting on job related things, and then study the data and see what the data is telling you about who this AI is delivering, who this AI is recommending. Uh, and is that setting you up with 
the adverse impact I talk about with the bias that I talked about. Um, so blindly trusting that a vendor says their stuff will remove bias and AI, um, you know, that is not a good policy. If you ask me, if you really want to make sure um, it, it requires uh, additional study, it requires uh, evidence from the vendor themselves, not just a marketing uh, speak. So it is possible. It just proceed with caution is all I would say. But I got to be realistic about this, Bill. I mean, uh, the other tools uh, in the process can also deliver bias. And like I said, at some point, a human makes the decision to pull the trigger on a person. Um, now, you know, there are a few products out there that that work really hard to blind the hiring folks to the race, gender, um, and other factors that might, uh, those are the main ones, obviously, uh, of an applicant. So those choices are not, th- those things are not filtering in. Um, that gets very difficult when the interview is figured in because, you know, you're typically going to lay eyes on that person. Uh, you're going to talk to that person or listen to a recording of that person. So, you know, it's, um, it's, it's not as easy as just saying we're going to plug this thing in and all our problems are going to go away. Uh, there's no free lunch and nothing of extreme value uh, comes easily, in my opinion. Two more questions for you today before we do wrap up. Um, sure. Firstly, just just to change tack a wee bit, I'd love to get your feelings on how how the global remote work experiment, for want of a better term, of, of the right. last sixteen to eighteen months has, has influenced what companies think about how they manage their employees. Yeah, I mean, it. it I think we're still figuring that out completely. We've studied remote work a lot even before the pandemic. We do a lot of contact center work and, you know, more and more, even before the pandemic, it was making sense for employers to uh, to set people up to work from their homes. So, you know, one of the biggest things is really just making sure people can feel connected. Uh, a lot of people don't work well in isolation. You know, they need a lot of stimulation, a lot of uh, cross talk, a lot of uh human contact. So that's where psychologists come in again. You know, um, we can we can help evaluate applicants for those characteristics. Um, I, I But I do think it is really going to become even more common. And, you know, a big part of that really uh, is that, as we know, the pandemic has kind of spurred. It's been a catalyst for these things that maybe would have happened anyway, or maybe would be good evolutions, right? So, that there's a whole humanistic, I mentioned this already, and again, part of being a psychologist, I'm very humanistically oriented. It's my mindset, my framework. Um, giving people the flexibility in their lives to be able to work from anywhere, to you know, be, be uh, working for a firm based in Toronto, but you're, you know, you're in Hawaii or whatever. Um, it's, it's possible, right? So uh, it always has been, but now companies are coming around to it more. So to me, it's it becomes more of an ends justify the means mentality. Um, if this person is getting the job done and getting it done effectively, who cares where they are? Um, but the, the person themselves has to be kind of ready for that. And I think that's where these individual differences come in. I think a lot, a lot of people may not want that. You know, I think people get cra- get a little crazy cooped up in their homes all the time. Uh, so you have to be ready and able to handle that. Another important thing to note, too, is and we did a benchmarking study, my company, earlier on in the pandemic. One of the things I found in the research there, only about 40 percent of the jobs in the world are able to be even done remotely. If you would think about um, a server, uh, a flight attendant, 
a factory worker, those jobs are not even available to be done uh, remotely. So when we talk about this global shift, you know, we as as white collar professionals have a little bit of a myopic viewpoint here. We think about the types of jobs we interact with, but huge parts of the economy have no option for working from home. Uh, it just feels important for me to point that out. I hope I answered the question. I guess the 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 answer would be learn learn about what the individual things are about a person that makes them amenable to uh, working remotely, and make sure you're accounting for those in your hiring process. You know. There we go. We've we've got the we've got the short soundbite, listeners, and then we've got the longer answer, which precedes that. Boom, sorted. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> just finally for today, Charles, how how can our listeners uh, connect with you personally and learn more about all the cool things that you get up to? Yeah, I mean, I'm all in all the regular places. We're on LinkedIn. Um, you know, just look me up there. Uh, we have a podcast you can find called Science for Hire uh, about assessment, but it really takes a uh, you know practical focus. We do geek out a lot on the IO psychology side as well, but um, but there's plenty for everyone there, and those are probably the main the main places. And I'm not hard to find. I've been doing this for twenty some years, so just type my name in, and you'll be able to you'll be able to see all the good stuff. Uh, and I, uh, Bill, I really appreciate uh, being invited. I hope I get a chance to, to come back sometime, and maybe even get you on my own podcast. Uh, Charles, I believe they say. That is a date, sir. We'll do that. Let, let, <laughs> let's, I, I, I want to come on yours. I, I don't know what I can say, which is useful, but I'll give it my best go. And I'd absolutely love to get you back on this show. Um, yeah. So to be continued, listeners, this is part yeah. one of, of many conversations. Um, but for now, Charles, it just leaves me to say thank you so much for being a guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Cheers, Bill. I really appreciate it. I hope I've helped some people understand some complicated topics in somewhat of a simple way, at least. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette. 